Konnisthee, how are ye? Welcome to the Candle of Tales podcast, episode 12. Konnisthee, how are ye? My name is Sarah Hegarty and I am here with my brother. My name is Aaron Hegarty and I am sitting there with my sister. We started uh, Candle of Tales, you know, a few years ago and we're the co-founders. We did start a few years ago, about four years ago now, we started telling stories in Dublin set to live music and uh, we have been doing that ever since. We started doing this on a donations-based system. So the people who could pay, paid for all, which, you know, kind of in favour of that as a general approach, but particularly for our stuff. So we're continuing that with the, in the online realm. So if you like what we're doing and you want to support us, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales and become a supporter. Throw us a few quid. Uh, we're working on some really cool rewards that we're going to have going up shortly. Shortly. Among them, the Drunken Podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> I forgot about that. I did not. Um, in which we cover ourselves in glory by being very drunk and recording a podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm so ashamed to say that that was my idea. He's, 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 yeah, strokes of genius now and again. So without further ado, uh, Aaron, you're going to tell us a story. You're going to tell us a slightly longer story this time, actually. This story, after editing, clocked in at... 33 minutes thank you future Oshin. <laughs> uh, so you know you can pause this you can take a break you can make a cup of tea in the middle if you need to but uh, you can also just settle in and enjoy the enjoy uh, the story yeah. it. here we go alright Aaron take it away one dark cloudy Rain-filled morning, Lou Love Father looked out of the plains of Tara. He saw a band of men coming towards him, and they brought word that the Fomorian host had landed on the coast, and they were preparing to invade Ireland. This happened often times, so Lou turned to his father, Keen, and his brothers, Koo and Kainsha, three sons of the Inkect and he told them to go out and amass the tribes to bring together the armies of the Shi so that they would fight this great Fomorian host. Ku and Kainsha went south and Kian went north. Now when Kian came to the plains of Martevna he saw on the horizon three men coming towards him and he was filled with dread. He knew these were the sons of Tyrion. Sons of the Inkect and the sons of Tyrion had a great rivalry, so that any time they were in each other's presence, a great fight would always break out. But Cian, being on his own, thought, uh, Here now, there's no way I'm going to fight these three bucks on my own. <laughs> right, that's it. There's a herd of pigs over there, and I'm going to follow them. He turned himself into a pig and joined the herd of pigs. The three sons of Tyrion arrived down to where they had seen Cian change his form and in the rain they stood looking and glaring out at the herd of pigs. Iker turned to Ichabur and Brian and said, Come here, I'm sure one of them lads, the sons of Dean Keck was here a second ago. Where'd he go? Brian looked at his brother and said, Would you not know an enchanted pig from a real pig? And he struck him with a hazel rod turned his two brothers into wolves so they may sniff Cian out and this is what they did. They brought him down by a great clearing 
of rocks and shrubs, and underneath a great oak tree they had the pig who squealed and then talked in the voice of a man. Here now, hold, hold on a second. Give me one request, and that is, just let me change my form back to my uh, human form so you might kill me as a man. They did that, and they allowed Kian to transform once more into the shape of a man so they might kill him that way instead. Oh, now you've made a mistake, because any way you kill me, your weapons will cry out for the death you've done on me, and if you kill me, well, everyone will know, and the price you'll have to pay for killing a man will be ten times that of having to kill a pig, so you'd be right to let me go. Brian looked at him. He drew his blade, knowing now that this blade would scream out and tell everybody he had killed Cian, the father of Lou. But he looked at Cian, a nemesis, and said, I couldn't give a rat's arse. You're going to die, and nobody's going to know about it, because we're going to use rocks instead. And so he sheathed his blade, and whatever price we have to pay, I'll gladly pay for the death of you. Give me her to me. And he picked up rocks. With his brothers, they stoned Cian. They bludgeoned him and killed him so badly that his bruised and bloodied body looked nothing like it had ever been before. The rain came down, pouring onto the ground all around them, and they piled stones up to hide the body from display, but the earth spat his body back out. It would not be buried. And they tried to bury him down a little bit deeper, and still the earth rejected him. Six more times they tried to bury the body of Cain, but the earth rejected him each time, wanting to show this body on display. And so eventually they dug so deeply down and piled so many rocks that Breen picked up a huge boulder and landed it on the grave so the body could not be thrown out. They went back then to meet the host that was going to meet the Fomorian army. The battle was fought, the Formorians were beaten back to the waves and everyone was to gather in Tara to celebrate and have a great feast. But Lou met men that were walking past him then and he asked for news of his father but no one knew what had happened to him and no one had saw him in the battle. Lou realised this was bad omen indeed. He knew now that his father might have lost his life, but he did not know how until he walked past the mound where his father was buried and the stones themselves cried out of what had happened, how the sons of Tyran had found his father and killed him in a brutal way. Lou walked through the rain and mud with a blood-soaked cloak from the Battle of the Formor, his hands and eyes weary but he held on no less to anger and resentment in his heart. He walked into the gates of Tara. Everyone there was celebrating and calling out for the great battle that had been won and how the Formorians were weak and petty and cruel and foolish for landing on Erden's shore with them, the great host of the Fae and the Shi, to arrive there and beat them back. Lou walked up and down between the tables and he asked the whole hall, What price would you ask for the man or men 
who had killed your father. Now the men turned around not seeing Keen. They realised someone had killed his father and they all cried out they would kill him, destroy him, off with his head. And Lou looked around, seeing the men banging their goblets on the table, demanding blood. He saw the sons of Tyran demanding the same. And he walked once more around the hall and said, I see the men who have killed my father in this room, and I see that they are too asking for a death penalty, but the price that I ask, the Eric, the fine, for my father's life. They ask only a simple price to be paid. I do not ask their life if they will admit what they have done. Now Iker and Ichabur looked at their older brother Brian and said, Sure tis us he's talking to. He knows I can tell by the weird look in his eye. Brian calmed them down and said, All right, hang tight there now, lads. All right, Lou. I know you're talking to us, the sons of Tyran. We're going to get the blame no matter what, so I'll tell you what. Even though we didn't do it, We'll take the price and we'll pay you what you want. What is the price you ask for the death of your father? I ask only this. Three apples, skin of a pig, a spear, two steeds, seven swine, a whelp of a hound, a cooking spit and three shouts from a hill. Yeah, all right, that's a... Not bad at all, actually. I'll, I'll, I'll gather those. It's pretty easy to actually. Hang on, I'll, I'll, I'll go get them there now. Just one minute. You've accepted the price, and you will pay the Eric. Fine. But I will only accept exactly these items. They are all far-off magic items. The three apples I will only take are the apples from the island of Hesperidiza. They are golden the size of the head of a child a year old. Any bite from the apple will cure any illness or sickness, and it will always be whole no matter how much eating is out of it. The skin of the pig belongs to Tuis, the king of Greece, and any wound it will heal if it is simply covered by the skin of that pig. The spear is a poisoned spear named Lewin, from the king of Persia. It is so deadly and poisonous it is kept in water submerged surrounded by herbs. The two steeds belong to Dober, the king of Sicily, and they run as fast as the wind and they run over water as easily as they run over ground. The seven pigs belong to Aesil, the king of the golden pillars, and you may feast on them one night and in the morning they will be rejuvenated and whole again. The whelp of a pup belongs to the king of Norway, and no beast in this land or world beyond can be not hunted down by him. The cooking spit is just a cooking spit, but it belongs to the women of the island of Fikori under water. And the three shouts from the hill are from the hill of Mercon, north of Lachlan, and he has sworn to never allow any man shout from his hill, lest he be faced by him and his sons. And even if you were to go out and get all of the other things, I know you will die once you face Mercon and his deadly sons. Now everyone fell silent in the hall. They stared at the sons of Tyran, knowing this great Eric, this great price to be paid, would surely bring their death to them. But Brian, Iker and Ichabur had accepted this challenge. All right, 
We'll go get them. Hang tight there now in a minute, and we'll be back, said Breen. He went off to his father, Tyrion. He told him what had happened, and Tyrion gave him a bit of advice. He said to do this quest, they would need to go over waves, and they'd need to go to far-off land, so they would need a great boat. He told them to ask Lou for Mananon MacLear's great horse that was able to ride over the foam and the sea of waves just like it could over any land. Now, he knew that he would say no to this, but Lou was under a gesh that he could not refuse a second request and so they must then ask him to simply give him the wave sweeper. This was his magic boat that went so swiftly and so fast you need only ask it to bring you to where you were going and in the heartbeat, in the breath breathed in and breathed out, you would land in the place you were asking to be brought to. And so, the sons of Tyrion went to Lou and they asked him for Mananon MacLear's great horse which he refused with a scowl in his eyes. But with delight the boys then asked him for the wave sweeper. Ah, uh, you can have the wave sweeper. I cannot refuse a second request, said Lou. And with this boat, they went on their great quest. The wind and waves lashed against the side of the boat. It was raining heavily as their face and cloaks were drenched wet. Breen, Iker and Ikeber looked at each other, not knowing when they would return home, but knowing they would give their best to achieve this great Eric and fine that had been placed upon them, knowing that at very least this would be the making of their names. People would remember the sons of Tyrion for the rest of time. And so they got on to Wave Sweeper and they asked it to bring them to Hesperidiza. And they breathed in and they breathed out and with this they were brought all the way across to the other side of the world, to the east, the far-off places, and there they heard and soon saw cries from the garden of Hesperidiza. Warriors and women were waiting for them, and they were calling and casting spells and spears down at them with fire flying towards them. They saw the golden apples, and Brian said, there's only one way out of this, lads, and that is to fly like fuck. So they changed themselves into great hawks, and they danced away from the spears, and they flew around, and diving down, they grabbed with their claws, each one of them a golden apple the size of a great, beautiful head of a year-old child. Now three griffins sprang up from the ground who had just been transformed from the form of a woman that had grown scaling wings and they spat fire at them. These griffins flew angrily towards them to retrieve these golden apples but the boys turned into their form of hawks, flew straight down under the waves and they swam there until they saw the coast was clear. They climbed out of the water and into the wave sweeper the three apples now in their hands and one of the things of the Eric done. The wave sweeper brought them then to Greece. Now they weren't sure how to go about this. They could not fly into the place for they did not know where the king kept his pigskin. 
Don't worry, lads. I have a plan. We'll just go up and declare ourselves poets from Ireland. Sure, everybody likes a poet from Ireland. It's going to be great. Right? Trust me. Trust me. Now, Icker and Ichabur didn't really trust Brain. He often had silly ideas and claiming to be a poet was never really one of them. He was definitely a better warrior, but they said they'd go with it. When it was announced that three poets from Ireland had arrived at the King of Greece's hall, well, to us, the king was delighted and set them in to a great feast. And music played and goblets of wine were poured and drank and merriment was all around until the king asked the men for a poem, seeing as they were poets. Icar and Ichabur looked at Brain and said, <coughs> What are you going to do? Brain stood up and completely winging it, he said, Almighty King, your fame is like a towering giant oak. And for my poem, I ask of no thing, save for your pig skin, for my cloak. Cloak and oak, there I am. <clears throat> the king looked at him with confusion, and he conferred with his men and people there, and they agreed the poem was good, you know, in a strange, offlandish sort of way. And one of the men offered the brothers, the sons of Tyran, that instead of getting the pig skin, they would get the weight of gold measured out in the pig skin itself. Brain said, yeah, you know what, that's alright, just can we watch it being done? I just, I'd really like to see the pig skin. This was agreed and they brought them into where the pig skin was and they began to measure out the gold and Brain called out, no, get it, quick! Iker and Ichabur ran towards the pigskin, grabbing it. Now they drew out their swords and they began to fight. And they fought so furiously and so valiantly that each one of them had death blows struck onto them. But before they could die, Iker would swipe the pigskin over the wound and it would be healed. And so they could keep on fighting until they got all the way down to the wave sweeper. They jumped in, healing themselves just enough to ask the wave sweeper to bring them to Persia. With one breath in and one breath out, they landed on the coast of Persia. This was where the king had a great, deadly spear named Lewin. And Icar and Icabur looked at Brian and said, That poetry thing didn't really work the last time. Can we maybe not do that this time? What are you talking about? That was unreal. My poem totally won. I say we do it again. So the two brothers rolled their eyes and said, All right. And they arrived with the welcome of poets from Ireland, very much the same. A great feast was laid out for them, and the king of Persia was excited to have poets from Ireland just to celebrate with. And music was being played, and songs were sung, and lots of wine was drunk, until the king once more asked him for the great, beautiful poem that would be promised to him. And once more, Brian stood up and cleared his throat, and Iker said, There's the, there's the spear! It's over there! Quick, go for it! And they made a run for it just before Brian could open his mouth and embarrass himself even more. And they ran for the spear, grabbing it and throwing it through the air. They realised they only had to stand behind the deadly spear, because it blew through the air, cutting men down that got too close to them, and even a simple cut would have them bleeding and pulsating and writhing in the ground, for the poison was seeping through their veins. Now, Brian, Icar and Ichabur once more fought with this 
spear, bringing them all the way down to the wave sweeper, where they tumbled in, boring and pulling around the pigskin to heal themselves. Once more they got in and got off to Sicily this time. Now with three things off their list, they were beginning to feel confident, they were beginning to think this could be done, and so they needed two steeds belonging to Dober of King of Sicily. But this time, Inker and Ichabur said there was no way they're doing the bloody poet trick again. Didn't work anyway. So they entered into the service of the king to get a sus of it, to see where they might find these horses. After all, Sicily is, you know, a pretty big place in comparison to Cork. And so they went around looking for this, these great horses. And so they went into the service of the king and they fought a few fights for him and they grew great acclaim and they waited and they waited to see this horse for months went by until eventually Breen said, come here, fuck this anyway. Now, the king overheard them and asked them why they were so annoyed and angry and what their mood was all about and when he realised that they just wanted to see the horses he said well why didn't you just ask to see the horses now Rain, Iker and Ikebar all looked at each other and said like we much prefer a passive aggressive approach we don't really like you know asking for things outright we're Irish after all you know what I mean the king rolled his eyes to this and led them down to the racing track and there a chariot was yoked with the two great horses finer horses they had never seen and when the horses ran around the ring they were unbelievably fast as fast as the wind and just as fast as that Brian leapt onto the chariot dashed the head of the charioteer off a flying rock and jumped on to ride down to the wave sweeper Iker and Ichabur were fighting all the way down till they got to the end of the coast Still fighting their way with the great spear Lewin and healing their wounds with the pig skin, they climbed in to this great wave sweeper and followed as Brian led the charge away from Sicily. Their next spot they came to would be the king of the golden pillars named Aesel. Their reputation preceded them, of course, three wild Irish men going around the world stealing all of the treasures of it and so Aesel met the sons of Tyran on the coast and he said you know I've heard of you I don't want to fight not when you have Lewin not when you have the great steeds and the great spear and the pig skin and the apples so rather than doing this I would rather give you these seven pigs which we'll slaughter tonight We'll have a great feast, and in the morning they will be full and whole. And Maybe I can help you out the next time you're going, rather than going off into battle. Yeah, sound. That sounds great to me, to be honest. And this is exactly what they did. They had a great feast, and Aesel told them that his daughter was married to the king of Norway, and so he might have a word with him and help them get the whelp of a hound, which was the next thing on their list. The king sent a message to the king of Norway, and off they went once more. The sons of Tyran left the king of the golden pillars with seven whole pigs, even though they had feasted on them the night before. When they came to Norway, they half expected to have such a great 
reception just like they had had at the Golden Pillars, but instead they found seven battalions all ranked out, waiting for them, and in behind, at the very edge, was the whelp of a hound, which would be able to chase down any living creature on this land or the next. Brian turned to the lads and said, All right, Hicker, you hold on to the pigskin. Hickabur, you hold on to the spear. I got the horses. Let's do this thing. And they fought a furious fight. They fought through seven factions. They thought they might give their lives to this quest, but they managed to get their way to the whelp of the hound, grabbing it now onto the chariot. Brian tore down onto the coast, and with Icar and Ichabur healing their wounds and throwing Lewin the boys and a spear all around them, they were leaving destruction and their own blood in equal measures all around them, but they managed to get away from that place, so they might get onto the next part of their quest. Now the lads were kind of loving this. On the wave sweeper they would be and they'd swap around who would drive the two steeds on the chariot that would run over the waves and they did not mind or matter how wet they got but hunger was never a problem as they had the three apples of Hesperides to keep them from getting sick or hungry at any time. And though the wind and waves and rain lashed against their face, they thought nothing of being home or loneliness. Except for Lou, looked into a shaft of light, spilled down onto a pool and called up an image to see how the sons of Tyran were getting on with their quest. He saw them enjoying this quest so much, he saw how much they had taken and how much they had claimed and how easy it now was for them to go round the world taking what they wanted. He feared they would complete the quest. And so, he cast a spell with Druid's help so that the men would feel lonely and lonesome for Ireland once more. They would forget all about the rest of their quest. They would forget the cooking spit, and they would forget the three shouts from the hill. And as he whispered magic words into the pool of water, three sons of Tyran began to feel saddened and homesick like they had never been before. And they forgot their next two items they thought only of returning to Arden's shore. The green fields, the tall, lonely mountains, the rocks, the barren landscapes, the tree. And so they came back to Ireland with a command to the wave sweeper, and they ran towards Tara, calling out for everyone that they had paid the Eric. They had the magic items from all over the world, and so a great host gathered in Tara to see them pay the fine. And as they presented the three apples and the pigskin and the spear named Lewin, the two great steeds that could run over water, the seven pigs from Aesil and King of Golden Pillars, the whelp of the hound from Norway, Lou looked at them and said, Is that it? Where is the cooking spit? from underwater and where are the three shouts from the hill of Meacon suddenly deathly silence rang out they were shocked and shook and all they heard were the beating of their own hearts a light rain falling sadness a 
was calling from the other side that her sister cried, now thinking she would see the death of her three brothers. The hall called out for Lou to have mercy, to give them one chance to go back and get the cooking spit and shout three times from the hill of Miakon. And seeing the king, Nuada of the silver arm, agree with them, Lou decided it was best to let them off once more into the wave sweeper. But he held on to the great treasures they had claimed at this point. Disheartened and now not so fun anymore, they went back into the wave sweeper. Brian, Iker, and Ichabur could not ask the wave sweeper to bring them to any land because they knew not where this cooking spit was. The island of the fairy women of Fincori was so far out of reach they had no idea where it was. And so the wave sweeper swept over waves but they did not know where to bring them. And so they looked as the moon grew fat and thin. Not once, not twice, but three times as they spent months on the sea until finally Breen cast a spell with seaweed he had gathered to cloak it around himself, to hold himself to be able to breathe underwater. He dived down, swimming around and searching for this fairy land until finally he heard through the water, the singing voices of women meet his ears. And as he swam down, he began to walk on the ground. And as emerald light shone all around, green-haired women stared him with blue and purple eyes. And grinning from ear to ear, they were surprised to see a man in their midst. This land of women never saw a man come into their place. They were knitting, using sharp needles to weave their cloaks and clothes, and they spied the man as he walked towards them all. He saw a cooking spit in the centre, and not knowing what else to do, knowing he was outnumbered, he had no brothers to back him now, and no magic spear or pigskin. Thinking he might die for it, he ran and grabbed the cooking spit and made to leap as the women simply caught him, brought him down and, and laughed at one another. For the cheek of this man, they said, how dare you? Even if your brothers were here, you would not be able to steal from us. Although I do like his eyes. And to bring surprise, they let him go just for having the balls to try and take what he could not ever have taken with force. And so he swam back to his brothers holding the cooking spit. Now knowing there was only one thing left to do, they had to go to the hill of Miakon to give three great shouts. The wave sweeper brought them to Lachlan. They traipsed over the land until they got to the, one of the tallest peaks of the north of Lachlan, the hill of Miacon, where the king had had a prophecy that three Irish warriors would one day land and try to call three times from his hill. 
And so he had trained his sons, his three great warrior sons, to never let that happen. And when he saw Brian, Icar and Ichabur make on, call for his sons, and they took their spears and swords, and they walked down the hill. The four men saw the three coming towards them, and Brian and Icar and Ichabur saw them coming towards them, and they ran towards one another. Three spears were cast through Brian, Icar and Ichabur in that fight, but they did not last. In death-giving, they only made them steer faster towards that fact that they would kill these men fighting them then as they drove their spears through the hearts of the sons of Mia Khan, chopping the head from the shoulders of him himself. The men fell down dead, and Iker and Ichabur looked up at Breen, now close to death themselves, but Breen told his brothers, this fight was fought so they would pay their price. And they dragged themselves up the hill with clawing hands they grasped through air, not knowing if they would reach their end before they got to the summit. But they climbed on top of this great hill. And although everything had been in their way, they now only had to call three times. Brian cried once. Iker cried a second and Ichabur cried the third shout from the hill of Miacon, fulfilling Lou's Eric and death price for his father. So close to death now the brothers were, Brian asked Iker and Ichabur one last thing, to make it back to Ireland. They dragged themselves weary and weak all the way to the wave sweeper. They begged it to bring them back to Ireland's shore so that they may see her once more. In their final breaths, they landed on Ireland's shore, and Tyrion, their father, was there to meet them. He saw his sons, so close to death now, he sent for Lou to bring down the pigskin so he may cure his sons who had paid the Eric. This thing was done and paid for it had been settled now and now was the time for them to live on in his eyes his daughter by his side cried hoping Lou would bring them to life and Lou brought forward the pig skin and a whole host of people saw him then put it back into his pouch as he shook his head he said no it's a better story if they die. And Lou turned his back on the sons of Tyrion, allowing them to breathe their last breaths on Ireland's shore. Their father Tyrion fell to his knees and died of heartbreak as their sister cried an endless wail that was met by the wind the weeping, lashing rain on the coast of Ireland. Well, that was a bit of a roller coaster, Aaron. Yeah, it's a uh, you know, it's a bit of a mad one. <laughs> it's one of the uh, three great sorrows of Irish mythology. Yeah, the sorrows of storytelling, they're called. Ah, that's Do it. you know what that one? always uh, foxed me a little bit because 
when I read this story, it made no sense to me. Hmm. It was so long and rambly. And you start off with such unsympathetic main characters. Yeah. Well, you know, a storyteller in Dublin called Richard Marsh came up to me after the very first time we did this story in Dublin. And he said to me that he never liked that story either. It was too long and too rambly and he didn't really like it and never told it. And because it was so long and so rambly and so mental, that's why I loved it. Like, it was bonkers. I was down in West Cork and I was reading a version of it and the sun was splitting the stones. I was looking out on the sea and I was just imagining these mentalers going off on this mad, crazy adventure after starting off kind of hating them Mm -hmm. and then just loving them. And because it's it's a sorrow, it's a tragedy, but it's not. It's hilarious. It's gas crack. Well, it's one of those stories. It does it does the thing that is my favorite thing to do in live shows, where we make people laugh and then you make them cry because it's it's disarmingly funny. Yeah. For the first while, and then as you gradually become like begin to care about these guys without even realizing that's what you're doing, suddenly it takes that turn, and you see a totally different side to the shining one, Lou. Big time. And you see this extremely spiteful, petty side come out. No, not that petty. They did kill his father in cold blood. Well, like, that's the thing. The the the, the sons of Tyrion and the sons of Kynche uh, are being kept, depending on the version. Um, they have this rivalry mm. and they have this terrible, like, you know, as soon as they see each other, they'll, they'll fight each other. And that rivalry, you know, it's it's this trans transgenerational thing, you know. Oh yeah, we know all about that in Ireland, <laughs> big time, you know. Yeah. And 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 as 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 it plays out, Lou kind of inherits it, makes it worse, passes it on, and sure, doesn't he have something coming to him? Then it's that kind of balance and imbalance thing that you keep on striking and making a thing worse by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think. It's also a really interesting look into the kind of legal system or the quasi-legal system that was evolving in, in, in Ireland. Like, this is a mythic story. So it's not as formalised uh, into proper law or anything like that, but it's it's pointing to a system called the Breton Law, mm-hmm. which we had in Ireland for many years. Uh, we had a country without police or prisons. And the way that the society regulated itself was through this system and it's kind of similar to some ideas of restorative justice that are floating around today like the idea behind it is not to punish the idea behind it is to make things right and particularly make things right with the victim of the crime so it's a whole interesting area I'd love to do like more podcasts maybe just specifically about it but in this one it's the Eric fine which is the death fine and like that is supposed to be the thing that ends the blood feud. The idea being, you guys go get this stuff and then we're square. And like you said, it just shows this nasty side to Lou because he never intended them for them to come back from that quest. Yeah. He knew full well that they would have to die in one of them. You know, he was setting them up for an absolute fail. It's a It's a stealth execution, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, he's he's pretending to follow this stricture and in public is following this this law and then in private is going away and enchanting them with forgetfulness. Yeah. It's a like, nasty one. Like. It's a nasty move. 
it's a nasty move by Lou. And yeah, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of little public private split in the guy as well, you know. Yeah, isn't it? In public, he's doing the thing that he's supposed to do, and then in private, he's like, "No, no, the intent here was that you die." So I'm going to make it so that you guys die. Definitely, definitely. And the end, like, how he kind of goes, you know what? It's going to be a better story anyway. And <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's also, I think if we put that in a cultural context, I don't, I don't, I'm not meaning to excuse this because I think it's a horrible thing that he does at the end. But there's also the idea of immortality was quite different in that culture, in in Irish culture, you were immortal as long as you were talked about. Mm-hmm. And there is that kind of thing about like, that's a particular way of kind of your reputation living forever. So you could read that very unsympathetically or you could read that a little bit more sympathetically <laughs> where he's actually, he's giving them a kind of a, an eternal life. Hmm, but dodgy, I don't know. Suspect, yeah, suspect because suspect and clashing with our our cultural values, and I think it's always interesting when these stories do that. Yeah, true. They should, you know, finally get the retribution and, and be given off, and they've done the great deeds, and they should live a long life afterwards, and they've paid the fine essentially, but they uh, they fall at the last hurdle, and they're not allowed to get back up. Yeah, and like in a culture like ours that values the happy ending and the happy ever after, that's terrible. But in a culture that values dying gloriously at the peak of your fame and at the peak of your physical ability, that's maybe not actually that much of a dick move. And like those char- like the characters you get to see and is just even though it's just mental story after mental story, you, you get to finally build a little little trilogy or a little kind of triple triplet uh, between the brothers and you're like you, you get to see the interplay between them and you get to all of a sudden even though they did this terrible thing at the start you begrudgingly be, get to like them <laughs> like you know because they're out having the crack doing all this sorts of mad doing stuff doing mental stuff and uh, uh, where were they from? <laughs> well <laughs> <clears throat> so I took a bit of poetic licence in uh, placing them down in, down in Cork you know what I mean? Yeah, you you just like doing your Cork accent. Strongly. I just like so southern accents, you know. But like so many of the stories are up north, and there's so many like you know, definitely in the west and all that. That, that you know, I just I decided that the Sons of Tyrone might have been from Cork or the south, you know, gen, general south. Uh, it just flavors it a bit, you know, <laughs> for the crack. Plus, you know, you have to have the crack with these stories and put on oh, a few yeah. voices. <laughs> they are, they are. This story particularly is a lot of fun. Like up until the really sad bit, it's a lot of fun. That's not that sad. The other star- sorrow, the, the other, the, <clears throat> the other sorrows of storytelling, uh, we've done one of them, mm. which is the Deirdre and the Sons of Ishnok. Yeah, that's quite sad. Which I always got as being like this was the thing I always got that as being really, really sad, and I always got the other one, the Children of Lear, as being really the sad. Saddest story ever. <laughs> which we will get to in a podcast when we're able to. All right, well, we just like, have to emotionally prepare ourselves. It's 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 also one of the best known ones. Yeah. Like that's the one that we don't do it very often because we tend to focus more on ones that people don't know. Mm. And certainly in Ireland, the Children of Lear is an incredibly well known one. Um, and it it has all of these themes of like exile and you know fa- family dysfunction. Um, and it's it's an, it's just unremittingly tragic, which is you know 
says a lot about Irish people that that's the story that we tell all of the school kids. And on cue, the weather has just started to sprinkle the office roof with a bit of rain. Oh yeah, this is the kind of room now where every raindrop is going to be heard, lads. So enjoy that. Nice little background. <laughs> I think that's uh, probably the end of the podcast anyway. All right, we'll take that as our cue. So, Okay, until next time. This podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan and the music was by Oshin Ryan. Thank you to all of you who help us out in Candlelit Tales. We really couldn't do this without you. There's too many of you to name, but we love yous. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, you can share it with your friends. You can follow us on social media. We use hashtag Candlelit Tales podcast. And you can support us directly by becoming a patron on Patreon. Patreon? I never know how to say that. Anything you can spare will really help us out. And we have some fantastic rewards coming. Uh, we'd love you to get in touch. You can email us your comments, questions, stories. Info at candlelittales.ie is the email address. Also, if you want to send us a request for a story that you'd like to hear and maybe tell us why you'd like to hear it, we will uh, mention you in a future podcast when we do it. Uh, if you'd like to book a live Candlelit Tales show, you can contact us on bookings at candlelittales.ie. Uh, we also do a number of live shows around the place so if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram you'll get plenty of notification about when, when those things are going on and you can keep up to date with absolutely everything we're doing at our website candlelittales.ie You!